good evening, everybody. Um, we're going to get started. Um, if at the end of this, after you've learned everything that we, we have to learn, if you want to go back to the back and use that knowledge to participate in our little uh, exercise, uh, please, please feel free to do that. Um, we're looking for a little bit of feedback on, on design, density, location of these zoning districts. Um, there's obviously going to be um, hopefully plenty of time for, for questions and, and comments at the end of this presentation, but um, you know, very helpful if you can participate in that exercise. My name is Tim Zerwinski. Um, I'm the Director of Planning and Community Development. Uh, welcome to our second public forum on the MBTA Communities Multifamily Zoning requirements. Um, before we start, um, I just wanted to take just a brief minute. Um, uh, many of you might have heard the very sad news this week that our friend Alex Whiteside uh, passed away. Alex was a um, a longtime member and chair of the planning board. Um, probably would have been here tonight, um, which is a little a little heavy. Um, I, I I don't want to take up a lot of time doing this. Um, didn't see eye to eye with Alex on a lot of things when it comes to land use regulation. But one thing that we were hand in glove lockstep on was how important this stuff is. And if there's one thing that I personally will take away from his long tenure of service to this town is the gravity and attention um, that he paid to issues of, of zoning and land use regulation and how the built environment in this town really makes the town what it is. Um, so um, if you just indulge me in just a really brief uh, moment of silence for our friend. Thank you for that. Um, so thanks again uh, for coming. Um, just a brief reminder that um, this meeting is being recorded by MATV. It's also being live streamed on the MATV live stream. I think it's on Facebook Live also. Um, a recording of this will be available on the town website um, pretty soon after we're done. So just so you know, um, this is our agenda tonight. Uh, we're right in the middle of the introduction. Um, after this, we will recap the MBTA community zoning requirements. Um, it'll be a pretty brief recap. Um, what I would advise you to do is, um, first of all, if you have any questions, um, sort of super basic questions about why we're here, I know this may be folks' first meeting, maybe it's your second, maybe you've been following along, maybe you haven't. Um, please feel free to ask any questions when the time comes. But um, we have recordings of our last public forum on the planning department website. Um, you can check that out, and um, it's got um, you know a, a really sort of in-depth introduction to the legislation and kind of what it means for the town. Um, after that, we're going to talk a little bit about the design exercise that we have in the back, um, just to sort of get after what we're looking for in terms of feedback there. Um, the bulk of the presentation will be on our ongoing compliance efforts and the challenges <laughs> behind those compliance efforts. And then um, the rest uh, the rest of the meeting will be for, for questions and comments. And then we'll very briefly go over next steps. Um, as I said earlier, the, um, the planning department website has a MBTA Communities Multifamily Zoning Requirement uh, page. Um, if you go to townofmilton.org and click on the planning department page, it is the top link on the left side. Um, anytime that we do one of these, the recording goes up, the presentation goes up, it's got resources from the state, it's got resources from other 
um, organizations in Massachusetts that um, that have information about MPTA communities. And um, there'll also be a link to um, sign up for our email list, which we use to keep people updated on what we're doing and um, when we're having events and, and when we're kind of looking for, for feedback. So uh, very uh, briefly, what are we doing here? What is the MBTA Communities Law? Um, so the Economic Development Bill that was passed in January of 2021 um, amended Chapter 40A, which is the Zoning Enabling Act, with a new Section 3A. Um, and it requires that an MBTA community shall have at least one zoning district of reasonable size in which multifamily housing, which is defined as three units or more in one building, is permitted as of right and meets other criteria set forth in the statute. So the zoning district has to achieve a minimum gross density of 15 units per acre. Uh, not more than a half a mile from a commuter rail station, subway station, ferry terminal, or bus station, no age restrictions, and suitable for families with children. Um, that's generally interpreted as you can't put any restrictions on the number of bedrooms um, in, your, in your zoning district. So if a developer wants to build a three-bedroom, they've got to be able to build a three-bedroom. Um, towns that don't comply, um, and this is from the legislation, will be ineligible for a series of state grant funds, including MassWorks, Housing Choice and the Local Capital Projects Funds. Um, in addition to that, um, both the governor and the attorney general have uh, put out what I would consider to be very strong statements about compliance. Um, you know, in fact, the attorney general has an advisory, um, you know, that basically says, you know, this is the law, and if you don't comply, um, you'll be you'll be liable to legal action from the Commonwealth. Um, and there's a link to that um, advisory opinion off of the. Uh, the planning department page that I showed earlier. So what are the options for compliance? How do we, how do we possibly comply with this, um, with this legislation? Um, and not just the legislation, but the guidelines that the Department of Housing and Community Development has promulgated to help towns comply. Um, we don't have flexibility on the total density. It's got to be 15 units per acre. We don't have flexibility on the size of the district. It's got to be 50 acres um, at the very least, um, we don't have flexibility in terms of how many potential units are in the zoning district. We have to zone for the potential for 2,461. Other than that, it doesn't sound like we have a lot of flexibility, but, but we actually do um, in terms of where the districts are, in terms of um, what the dimensional restrictions are, which you know are kind of the, the, the meat and potatoes of zoning, um, which we'll go into very briefly here. Um, so the location of the districts has to be within a half a mile of a transit station. Um, there's a wrinkle there in the guidelines that basically on account of, and you'll, you'll be able to see this on the map in the back if you look, when you draw a half mile radius around, let's say Milton Station, um, a significant portion of that half mile radius is actually in the city of Boston by virtue of the fact that the Mattapan line kind of hugs the river, which is the border between our two uh, municipalities. As a recognition of this, um, what DHCD has said is that Milton only needs to put half of its zoning district in what we'll call the transit area, and then the other half can go anywhere else in town. Um, and that's an acknowledgement that we don't have as much land to work with as, say, City of Newton, which has the D-line and the commuter rail right in the heart of their city. Um, every half mile radius is right in the middle. They've got all of that land to work with. We don't. Um, and so as an acknowledgement of that, um, we have more flexibility in where the location of the district is. Um, we can create multiple sub-districts. 
Um, I'm going to use the term zoning district throughout this presentation and throughout our discussion of this over the coming months. But what that zoning district is really going to need to wind up being is a collection of small sub-districts with different locations, different uh, dimensional requirements, different densities. Um, they'll all come together to form you know, what we'll call a single zoning district, but it's, it's going to be multiple kind of sub-districts all over the place. Um, Half of that district needs to be contiguous. That means we can't put an acre here, an acre there, an acre there. Half of it, whatever the amount of land we zone is, has to be in one kind of piece. The other half can be wherever, with the caveat that an individual sub-district needs to be at least five acres. So again, can't do an acre here, can't do an acre there. You have to have a five-acre sub-district. So, the dimensional requirements in those sub-districts, as I mentioned, don't have to be the same. Um, we can have a building this tall here and a building this tall there, big minimum lot size here, small minimum lot size there. Um, everything just needs to average out to that minimum density of 15 units per acre and then achieve those other kind of minimum thresholds. So the example that I use, just the simple kind of math problem, is that half of the district can have a density of five units per acre, which, which is obviously lower than 15 units per acre. But the, if the other half is 25 units an acre, that all averages out, I think, to 15. I'm not a mathemagician, um, but uh, this is going out live to everybody. Um, so as I said, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of flexibility, um, and, and there are serious constraints, which we'll talk about. Um, but we do have the ability to craft these districts in a way that, that goes pretty far in, in meeting um, our needs and our concerns. So I, I want to walk, I, I keep on saying I'm going to walk quickly through things, <laughs> um, so, but I want to walk quickly through uh, the design exercise that we have in the back. And, and what we're really trying to get after is helping folks understand and conceptualize what multifamily housing actually looks like. Um, the state defines multifamily housing as a building with three or more units, and there's actually a secondary definition, or a lot that has multiple buildings with more than one unit. So if you have a lot and you've got two two-family houses on it, that is a multifamily lot. Um, the same way as a, as a lot with a three-unit building on, on it is, the same way as a, bill, a lot with a hundred-unit building. Um, it's all multifamily. So there's a big range here. Um, so this, these are just a couple examples of what a three-family house looks like. And these are all um, regional examples. We've got a, you know, a, a three-decker on Albin Street on Ashmont Hill in Dorchester. Um, people hopefully recognize this three-family house kind of on the corner of Adams and Squanum. Um, and then this is another three-family house on Central Ave. Um, so you know, these two are already in Milton. Um, there's others that just didn't fit on the page. Um, this is what four-family housing looks like. Um, this is another house in Milton on the left um, on Griggs Lane that's a four-unit house. Um, this other one in the middle is on Old Morton Street um, in Dorchester and Lower Mills. And then um, this last one's on Holborn Street, um, again, in Milton. And these are four units, and, and this is what this kind of thing looks like. Um, what, what you're going to learn tonight and throughout this process is we are going to need to deploy density across the spectrum of, of, of unit counts um, if we're going to get this thing right. Um, and so why, this is why it's important to kind of understand this is what this stuff looks like and this is what you know we're signing up for. 
Um, this is a 12-unit building in Mattapan. This is a 14-unit building in Quincy. Uh, these, you know, clearly now start to look like multifamily buildings in the way that we sort of commonly understand apartment buildings. But again, um, you know, this is not a scale that I think is blowing anyone out of the water. Um, this is a three and a half and a three-story building, um, you know, here. Starting to get a little bit more into, again, you know, the scale of 50 Elliott Street or, you know, the recently approved 440 Granite Ave project, 30 to 45 units. Um, this one on the left is on Cambridge Street in Alston. Um, the one on the right you might recognize as the schoolhouse development um, in Lower Mills. Um, you know, again, the possibilities for design of these things runs the spectrum. You have a sort of a contemporary looking building on the left and, you know, a, a building with some more traditional sort of mansard type features on the right. And then, you know, finally, you know, once you get into sort of larger scale of, of sort of larger multifamily buildings, um, you know, Treadmark would look a little funny with a mansard roof, but it, it is a, a striking building and I think a well-designed building, um, you know, in, in Peabody Square in Ashmont. Um, and then this is the loop in, um, in Mattapan Square, the recently um, constructed project um, right at the train station. So one of them is 80 units, one of them is 135 units. These look like apartment buildings, um, you know, but again, not dissimilar from, say, 88 Wharf, um, you know, which is a building that already exists in town of Milton. So, you know, again, if you've got time at the end of the presentation, if you want to go in the back and, and put some stickers on the map, what we're looking for in this exercise is, you know, we're, like I said, we're going to have to deploy density of, of, of all types in order to kind of meet the thresholds that we need to meet. Um, and what we're looking for feedback on is, you know, where do you think this stuff fits in the town of Milton? Um, we're being compelled by the state to make this stuff fit. Um, we need to figure out, you know, um, you know, where it works best. So, um, What I deploy is to write zoning is is what I mean and 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 let me um, before we go into we're going to go on a little side quest here um, just so that people understand exactly what we're talking about when we talk about writing zoning because um, I've heard you know people you know chatting you know before the meeting talking about eminent domain or, or or whatever zoning is is a property right okay. By right zoning means that you can build a certain thing on your land if you are a landowner. Uh, currently in the town of Milton, the overwhelming amount of land is zoned for single family housing, whether it's one house on a 7,500 foot square, square lot in the C zone, one house on an acre lot in the A zone. Most of the land in Milton says you, you can build one house on it. Um, you don't have to build one house on your land. If you have a two acre parcel in the A zone with one house on it, you don't have to build a second house on it. Um, it's up to the property owner to decide what they want to do with their land. So when we rezone the town for multifamily, it's still up to the property owner to decide. And, and obviously you're giving people more development rights and you're making their land more valuable. Um, people are gonna take advantage of that. But ultimately it's up to each individual property owner to decide do I want to redevelop? Do I want to turn my one house lot into a three unit lot or not? Um, if we were to write zoning and not a single unit was built, we are still in compliance with the law. That's probably not going to be the case. People are going to take advantage of this, but it also isn't the fact that we're going to see an overnight change in the built environment in the town of Milton. Um, and so the town will have achieved its obligations if it passes zoning. 
And then just like today, it's up to individual property owners to decide, I want to redevelop or I don't want to redevelop. And so um, the town's not coming in and asking anyone to redevelop their house. No one's taking any land. No one is, um, you know, compelling anyone to do anything that they, you know, wouldn't be able to do today except, you know, again, additional additional property rights for potentially uh, you know, additional density. So when I when I say just to get back to your your point, sir, you know, when I say we have to deploy these these things, it just means, you know, we have to write zoning that zones for three family houses. We have to write zoning that zones for, you know, larger apartment buildings, um, which I think is going to become a little bit, hopefully a little bit clearer as we um, as we go through the presentation. So the way that the state is measuring this and the way that they're going to judge whether the 175 cities and towns in the MBTA communities sort of classification comply with the law is they have built this software tool called the compliance model. Um, and, and the way this works, and, and you can read, this is just the text from their website. Um, what it is, is you know a combination of an Excel spreadsheet and a, and a, and a GIS analysis tool this GIS is um, Global Information System. It's the way that we kind of um, analyze and keep track of real estate parcels. Um, what they do is they put the requirements of the guidelines into this machine, we'll call it, this software program. And basically, every town will plug in, okay, here's our district. We're going to draw a line around our district in the Global Information System or geographic information system, I should say, I'm sorry. And that's going to capture all the parcels. So if you were to draw a line, you know, around that district over there in the back, that would grab every parcel within that line, all of the information that's pegged to that, the lot size, the dimensions of, you know, the frontage, the dimension of the side lot lines, and put it into this system. Then you plug in your dimensional requirements. All right, in this district, we're going to allow, you can build up to three stories and you can build three units on a lot and the minimum lot size is 5,000 square feet. There's all sorts of dimensional requirements that you can put in there. Once you do that, the program kind of spits out and says, okay, here's how many lots are developable. Here's how many potential units in your potential zoning district that can be built. That's called your unit capacity. That's going to be an important number. And it basically says, here's what the density of this district is overall. And it's a means that DHCD is going to have to say, like, okay, here's your zoning. And the zoning takes the form of text that we vote on at town meeting. Um, but what that does, it sort of takes that text and those dimensional figures and those geographies and turns it into data that they can look and say, okay, is it meeting the minimum acreage of 50 acres at least? Yes. Is it meeting the unit capacity? Is it meeting the overall density of 15 units per acre? If you check all those boxes, you win. Um, and, and you're deemed to be compliant and you know, you're off to the races. And if it doesn't, you got to come back and, and figure out why you're not compliant. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is, is testing. We're using this tool to test districts, to test dimensional requirements. And so there's going to be numbers and figures and geographies that come out of this machine that I just want to assure you, and I'm going to continue to assure you as these slides go on, these are tests, all right? We're trying to get information to figure out how this thing works and how we can get to compliance. So um, we're using technical assistance resources from the state. Um, we're working with a firm called Util. 
um, that is basically helping us run this model. It's it's complicated. We have the in-house capacity to do it, um, but other people can do it better. Um, and so we're taking advantage of the resources that the state has put um, in front of us um, to, to test these districts. And so our initial test included four sub-districts. And like I mentioned before, half of the district has to be within the transit area and half the district can be elsewhere. One thing that I wanna make super clear right now is that this model and the guidelines, I talked about flexibility, I talked about constraints. Um, the, the, the model has constraints. I'll tell you one. Uh, no, actually, I'll save that to later. I'm sorry. It's a teaser. <laughs> um, but um, all that is to say what, what our goal as a department is, is to put as much information and as much flexibility in front of the town. And that means that means you, that means the planning board, that means ultimately town meeting to, to shape these districts. All right. And so I have not, in my kind of dealings with our technical assistance providers, made any decisions or given any advice about how much of the transit area should be zoned. We've tested all of it, okay? And you're gonna see the consequences of that in a minute. It's gonna be up to, again, the town, you know, through discussions here at these meetings, through discussions at the planning board, ultimately at a public hearing at the planning board to determine what the actual shape of the district is gonna be. We are testing things to see what this model spits out. And so we've tested four areas. There are two sub-districts in the transit area. Um, sub-district one is effectively all of the C-zone parcels. So these are all the smaller parcels that are 7,500 square foot minimum lot size. Um, the transit sub-district area two is the residence A and residence B parcels in the transit area. And they'll be, um, they'll be blocked off in greenish blue and yellow um, on the maps that we're gonna look at. Um, we tested East Milton. Um, the thinking behind that between East Milton and the Granite Avenue parcels is they are non-residential. Um, they are larger parcels. Um, there's not a lot of opportunities to do some of the things that, for instance, Town of Dedham is able to do. They're rezoning Legacy Place. They're rezoning a couple of 40B parcels adjacent to Legacy Place. We don't have big parcels like that. We don't have large industrial or huge commercial areas. Um, so what we need to do is take a look at sort of the non-residential areas that we have, look at some of the larger parcel areas that we have and kind of see what we can do. What I'll tell you right now before we get too deep into it is the planning board is engaging in a separate zoning exercise in East Milton that's been part of planning efforts that we've been working on for several years. Ultimately, as of right now, we're not thinking of East Milton as an MBTA communities district. Um, we tested it. We wanted to see what happened. Um, it's not going to be part of further tests unless we decide to do it. Um, but I, I think what we've heard, at least the planning board, is we want to go through the zoning process that we've already got underway for East Milton. Um, and so, you know, you'll see that in the presentation tonight. You probably won't see it in the next presentation. And then finally on Granite Ave, um, the state DPW park and ride parcel and then the adjacent um, deep um, American Legion Hall, um, which have been subject to discussions about redevelopment over the course of the years. So we've tested all of those to see, can we get compliance out of these districts? Here's a map just to show you um, what this looks like. Like I said, the greenish bluish parcels are the C zone. 
um, which is 7,500 square foot minimum lot size. The yellow areas are the B and A zones, which again are, you know, the B zone is a 20,000 square foot minimum lot size. The A zone is a 40,000 square foot minimum lot size. And then in orange, you have the Granite Avenue parcels and in red, um, the East Milton parcels. So part one of the test is you pick out the geography, right? So here's your geographies right here. Um, the second part of the test is you put in dimensional requirements. Um, dimensional requirements are what start to shape what a building looks like um, on, on any of these given parcels. And so what we tested in the transit area subdistrict one is a minimum lot size of 5,000 square feet. Um, it's currently 7,500 square feet. We ratcheted that down to 5,000 square feet. The setbacks, setbacks are how far from your lot line a building can be. Um, are, I, I think, largely mirror what the existing zoning has. Um, folks can correct me um, if I'm wrong there. The maximum number of units per lot we pegged at three. That's the minimum amount of units on a lot to be considered multifamily. Um, max building height is two and a half stories. That's consistent with zoning right now. Um, parking space per dwelling unit, one. That's also consistent with current zoning. Um, in the yellow district, the transit subdistrict area two, 10,000 square foot minimum lot size. Again, setback requirements that, that I believe mirror the existing setback requirements. Um, we did four units per lot, two and a half stories, one space per unit. Um, fewer dimensional requirements in the other two subdistricts, again, because they're larger lots. This is where we anticipate there potentially being, you know, some of those more traditional what you would consider to be multifamily apartment buildings. Um, the setbacks are aggressive, um, and, and you'll see that bear out in some of the numbers that came out of the model. Um, a maximum building height of six stories on Granite Ave, which is between Granite Ave and the highway, four stories in East Milton. These are tests, all right? We wanna come up with, reg with, with dimensional restrictions that are reasonable, that will achieve some level of, of multifamily development, but are not hopefully blowing people out of the water. One thing that I'll say in, in the transit area subdistricts, and, and I'll wind up repeating this multiple times throughout this presentation, is that um, the parcel sizes, especially in the green zone, are very small. It's a, the zoning says 7,500 square feet. There's not that many 7,500 square feet parcels in that zone. Mo most of them are undersized. As anyone who's had to go before the ZBA for anything um, will know. Um, we're talking really 5,000 square foot, 6,000 square foot. There's, there's a fair number of lots that are smaller than that. So we are compelled to deal with the parcelization that we have. That's one of the re requirements of the model is the model doesn't guess that maybe someday someone will buy their neighbor's parcel and build one building on it. Um, so if we set a minimum lot size that's too high, you start to lose out on some of those smaller undersized parcels. That being said, three units is 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 tight <laughs> for a five thousand square foot lot. Um, I live in Dorchester. I live in a two family house. On either side of me are three family houses on fifty one hundred square foot lots. They're perfectly livable. They're lovely homes. Um, people um, raise their families in them, um, but they're they're big houses on small lots. Um, and so, if we wanted to crank up that number to four, five, six we'd be talking about a building type that is not currently seen in the town of Milton. Um, and so when we give our advice and our inputs to 
our technical assistance providers, I'm basing that on my experience talking to all of you about development and zoning in this town and understanding based on our planning efforts that the physical character of the town is extraordinarily important to people. And so if we're going to be compelled by the state to rezone for multifamily, we need to create zoning that gives that physical character the best possible chance to remain. And so this is why we test largely what are the existing zoning requirements in these districts right now. It's only one unit per lot right now. We have to allow for three. But the setbacks, the building heights, these are the same. Um, in a buy-right scheme where you don't have discretionary approval by the planning board or the board of appeals, you, you know, if someone wants to knock their house down and build a three-family house, they're allowed to do that. Um, what we can do is create dimensional restrictions that point them in the direction of additions, renovations, you know, turning your three floors into one, two, three units, um, you know, potentially putting a small house in the yard that has two units in it. Anything that we can do through zoning that we ultimately have to put out into the world um, and let people use it to maintain that physical character. Um, and so that's going to be a through line throughout all of our discussions tonight. So um, why did we test these subdistricts and these dimensional requirements? Um, as I said before, we want to test broad geographies and we actually want to, what we're looking for is results from these tests that exceed what the minimum requirements are. Because what that does is that gives us the ability to say like, okay, now we know that if we do this, we're going to be, we're going to hit this mark, we're going to hit that mark, we're going to hit that mark. Now we can start to trim this district here. We can trim this dimensional requirement there. We can eliminate this subdistrict altogether. We, there are things that the state is making us do. What our goal is, is to give the town as many options to sort of shape that as possible. Like, I don't want to get results out of the model that are like right on the nose and then you know, I'm handing you something, you know, approve it or don't approve it. Um, what we really want is is to find where there's flexibility and find where there's the ability to sort of make um, those discretionary um, decisions. And again, you know, Granite Ave and East Milton, non-residential, larger parcel sizes, um, you know, there's the potential to sort of do, um, you know, get some density out of that. Um, I, 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 I jumped the gun on myself. Um, compliance model only responds to parcels as they exist today. So it doesn't consider lot consolidation. It doesn't consider subdivision. So, um, and then maintaining the physical character is a clear priority. Um, you know, we have acre zoning in the A zone. Um, there are big parcels in the A zone on Adam Street, Russell Street, School Street. Um, this is also the Milton Hill Historic District. Um, you know, arguably the most historic area of town. Um, it's a tremendous priority for us <laughs> um, that we don't mess with that if we can. Um, so when you have an acre and you have requirements that say you've got a zone for a minimum density of 15 units per acre, my advice to you is to not zone for 15 units per acre on Milton Hill. I don't think it's a good idea. Um, that's going to have downstream consequences, but we tested a much lower density in that area, again, for the precise purpose of giving property owners the best possible opportunity to maintain those houses, to maintain the historic and physical character of that neighborhood. Um, we're trying to incentivize and encourage renovation, 
addition rather than demolition. So based on those geographies that we tested, based on those dimensional requirements that we tested, here's what the model spits out. Um, in that transit area subdistrict one, with those dimensional requirements, 5,000 square feet, three units per lot, setbacks, two and a half stories, um, we have the potential for 2,331 units. Um, the district is 311 acres. Um, there's a little bit of a calculation of, of what the actual sort of measured density is. I'll get to you in just a second. Um, but, but largely, um, it's, it's, it's a big district, as you can sort of see on the map. Um, and it nets out to 7.7 .7 units per acre. Um, Transarea Subdistrict 2, 880 units, 230 acres. Again, like I said, four units on a 10,000 square foot lot is far below the 15 units per acre that's required. You see 3.3 units per acre um, in, in, in that calculation. And then, you know, the two other districts, um, you know, with those very, very basic dimensional requirements, um, producing just a ton of units at a, at a very high density, um, as you can see from this chart. Before I go to the next one, yes. So this is a good question. Um, we, we addressed this in the first presentation, but I think it's worth revisiting now that I've got people in the room. Um, the, the model and the guidelines and the law treats every parcel as a blank slate, right? So when we say the modeled multifamily unit capacity is 2,331 units, we're looking at a map with parcels. We're not considering what's on the parcel right now at a minimum lot size of 5,000 square feet with three units allowed on a parcel, you can create 2,331 units. Now, from, from the perspective of the model, from the perspective of compliance, that's the important thing. When we think about what is the impact of this zoning gonna be, this is where I think what you're getting at comes into play. And the zoning allows for 2,003, I'm just going to use this number because it's the one on the screen, would allow for 2,331 units. We will not see 2,331 new units because if you think about it this way, you've got a, a parcel with one house on it. You redevelop it into a, a, a parcel with three houses on it. You're only netting two houses. You're not netting three houses because, you know, the people in those houses may be different, but the fact that there is three houses where there used to be one, it's just math, right? So when we talk about, you know, what is the impact of this going to be in terms of traffic, in terms of schools, in terms of infrastructure, we're already servicing however many thousand something, you know, houses that are in this district with sewer, roads, water, schools. Um, the additional population out of this is you know, the new units minus the existing units. Now, this works in a district that's already developed. When we say, when we look at Granite Avenue, for instance, those are new units because there's no houses over there. And so those will be totally new. Um, so, you know, it's, it's cold comfort because um, we're still talking about a lot of new units. Um, but you know, when we, and, and, and just so everyone knows, we, we've, we put out a solicitation to get consultant services to do a municipal fiscal impact analysis of what we think the, the, the impact and the cost and benefit analysis of this zoning is going to be for our services and infrastructure. 
Um, so, you know, that'll be an update that we have. Do you have a follow-up? I, uh, you know, it's, I don't necessarily disagree, um, but the, the, the transit is where the transit is. Um, there are other places in the region where there is no residential development around transit, um, where it's like, okay, now you're, you get, these are all new units and there's no, Milton, and I'm not saying this to, to be like a crowd pleaser or anything, but when I, when I've talked to people at the state level, people in other municipalities, technical assistance providers that are working with other towns, everyone acknowledges the unique challenges that Milton is facing by virtue of the historic parcelization that we're dealing with and the location of, of, of the transit that we have. So this is just a check on the, can I, I just wanna go through this slide real quick. Um, this is a, a check on the criteria. So remember the criteria are 2461 potential units, at least 50 acres, at least 15 units per acre. So we obviously blow that unit capacity number out of the water, 4661, no, no trouble there. 10 times the size that we need to have. Um, so yes, we meet that. But all of that, all of that potential development in that enormous geography only gets us to 8.3 units per acre, um, which is below the minimum. So if we were to go to the state and say, look, we zoned our entire transit area, plus we did Granite Ave, plus we did East Milton, you know, where's our cookie? They would say, no, you got to go back. Um, because even though this scenario, you know, would, would produce potentially a ton of new housing, it doesn't check the boxes that the state has, has given us. Um, and, and that's going to be an issue, um, that I'll, 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 I'll try to, this is how the sausage gets made folks. <laughs> um, so we've learned a number of lessons through this kind of first test period with the states. Oh, you had a question. I'm sorry. So what, what, what I'll say very briefly is um, all of this, this is, this is zoning, right? So um, it's, it's meant to, you know, replace the existing zone that we have, um, does not replace the Wetlands Protection Act or the local wetlands bylaw or the stormwater bylaw or our other zoning requirements relative to paved area, relative to lock coverage, um, relative to open space. I mean, we have the ability to keep those restrictions that um, you know will will help us achieve the environmental goals that we have the water quality goals that we have um, so you know this this all fits into the ecosystem of regulation that we already have and so not to dodge the issue but what I will say is if those things are important and we don't think that our existing regulations are are up to the task Let's let's change the existing regulations. The other thing that I'll say, you know, relative to sort of the environmental impact of dense housing around transit is that, um, you know, from a traffic perspective, which transportation is the number one contributor of greenhouse gases in the United States. Um, this is one of the drivers of this legislation is, you know, we live right next door to the beating heart of the region's economy. 
And what this law is trying to get at is, quite frankly, getting people out of their cars and getting them on the train. Um, it has environmental impacts from a pollution perspective. Um, it has environmental impacts from a greenhouse gas emissions perspective. Um, you know, in terms of our ability to consolidate development in areas where there's already existing infrastructure, when, where development has already happened. I mean, you know, the ship has sailed on the Elliott Street corridor. We developed it 100 years ago. Um, it's not like we're in the pristine wilderness of the Blue Hills knocking down trees to build subdivisions. Now, that's not to dismiss the concern about open space, about tree cover. Um, but what this law is really trying to get at is there are places that are served by infrastructure and, you know, builders are going to want to build somewhere. And this legislation gives us the tool to direct that to areas where, quite frankly, it's more appropriate to build. Um, this is one of the issues that I have with the 40B projects that we have. Now, you, you'll, you'll guess that I'm probably more go-go development than a lot of people in this town. But the 40B projects are not based on planning. They're based on a developer has a large piece of land and they have the ability to develop it to a really extreme extent. And so, you know, if I was picking a place to put multifamily development, I would not put it, you know, at 582 Blue Hill Avenue, you know, um, you'd put it where there's amenities, where there's infrastructure. Um, this is a tool that will give the development community that signal that like, look, don't knock down a bunch of trees adjacent to the reservation. Don't dig up a hillside to put in, you know, 10,000 square foot subdivision lots. Come build here where, you know, the impact on the existing environment is going to be lessened. So, um, but it's a great question. It's a great concern. And I think should be really an important part of the conversation going forward. So what have we learned from this first test through this compliance model? Um, recall the three variables, at least 50 acres, at least 2461 units, average density of at least 15 units per acre. Um, the first two variables, we will, we will achieve those. Um, those are, it's all very difficult stuff, but those are easy to get. Um, as you see, we have room to reduce the size of that transit area district because we can take parcels out and, and not lose too much of that unit capacity in that area because we've got so much to spare. Um, the average density is going to be where we are going to really struggle, um, for, for, for lack of a better term. So you just see what's driving these numbers. Um, even though we have a really high density in those sort of non-residential areas, and there are other non-residential areas that we can, we can test and we can zone for where we can achieve similar densities, relative to the size of, uh, you can't see my little cursor, but I mean, just look at the district size of those two districts. You know, one of them is 300 acres, one of them is 200 acres, and then the others are 12 and 23. So even though you've got this really high density, the area that it is is actually small, so it's really not having a, a big impact on the overall density figure. So the size of the transit area, as we've tested it right now, is something that's really dragging down that overall density figure. So as I said, compliance model only responds to the existing parcelization in the district. And the parcelization just means what are the existing lot sizes? Um, doesn't assume that people are going to combine lots, doesn't assume that people are going to subdivide lots. So if I zone a 40,000 square foot 
parcel for, you know, four units per acre. That comes out to four. It doesn't assume that, you know, if you've got a 200,000 square foot parcel, you get credit for four units, the same as you get credit for four units on a 10,000 square foot parcel. So it doesn't assume that you're going to chop those up into 10,000 square foot slices. Um, so you'll see those numbers in a minute. This is a chart that shows the lot sizes in that green transit area subdistrict. And if you can't really see that well, this is in, um, in kind of divisions of 1,000 square feet. So just for, for your reference, on the far left side, there are four parcels in this district that are less than 1,000 square feet. There are 27 that are more than 30,000 square feet at the, at the right side of the chart. The median lot size in this district is 7,000 square feet. That's the kind of flag that you've got in the middle up there. So half of the parcels are bigger, half of the parcels are smaller. So when we set a minimum lot size of 5,000 square feet in this district, all of those parcels that have an X through them, which are smaller than 5,000 square feet, we don't get any credit for units on those because you wouldn't be able to build any units on those. If you've got a parcel that's 4,000 square feet and the minimum lot size is 5,000 square feet, that's what minimum lot size means. You can't build something if it's not at the minimum or greater. So if you think about this in terms of math, your numerator and your denominator, your numerator is the potential number of units. That's your unit capacity. Your denominator is the total area of the district. So by not getting credit for these parcels, that drags down the overall density figure in this district. This one is even more dramatic. Um, this is the lot sizes in the yellow district. This is the A and B zone in the transit area. So the median lot size is 25,000 square feet. So again, half of the parcels are smaller, half of the parcels are larger. In the example that I gave before, if we set a minimum lot size of 10,000 square feet and we say you can build four units on that lot, there are 14 parcels that are greater than 100,000 square feet in this district. The model isn't saying that you can build, so there's uh, 100,000 square feet, so there's how many 10,000 square foot parcels in 100,000? 100, right? Is that math? 10. As an English major. <laughs> I let Josh do my math for me. This, this does not assume that any of those 100,000 square foot parcels are going to be chopped up into 10, 10,000 square foot parcels. So a 100,000 square foot parcel in this zone has four units on it, just like a 10,000 square foot parcel. So that's an enormous amount of land that we are not, again, getting credit for because it's a single parcel and the model does not assume that there's going to be a subdivision of that parcel. So this is an area, again, that is really dragging down that overall density figure. Um, you know, again, because it's huge parcels and we're actually not zoning those huge parcels for very many units at all. The reason that we're not zoning those parcels for very many units at all is what I discussed earlier. It's the most historic part of town. Um, it would, it would, dramatically alter the character of the town to say, you've got these huge lots, let's start building, you know, 20 unit per acre housing developments on these enormous lots. It would, it would, 
you tell me later if, if, if you think that's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. So that's a, that's a choice that the town is going to have to make. Um, I'm putting the information out there. I think that people tend to agree with me. Um, but it's all going to come down to a discussion of what are the town's priorities. And those are the things that, you know, we are, we're sticking to this and we have to make our compromises elsewhere. Um, these are important questions. Is preserving the current physical character of the transit area as much as possible important? I, I contend that it is. I suspect that other people will contend that as well, but it's definitely something that's up for discussion. You have a question, sir? Nothing. Nothing. So. Oh, I'm sorry. We're not in. Technically, we're not in the question and answer period. So you're. <laughs> If you want to just repeat that, sir, I'm sorry. And I apologize to anyone that spoke earlier. Um, you did not go out to the masses, um, so. Right. So you are not misunderstanding it. Uh, you're understanding it perfectly clearly. Um, there's the, the, the disconnect is kind of really in what is the kind of academic exercise of feeding things into this model and sort of having DHCD effectively kind of check our homework and the actual reality of what zoning would look like under these conditions. And you're absolutely right. If we were to zone for four units on 10,000 square foot lots, the model would say you're, you're not getting any units or you're not getting more than four units on any of these large lots. But then if that zoning passed, the reality of the situation would be exactly what you say. Any, lot, any property owner that could divide their property into multiple lots could potentially do it and, and build more than what the model said that we would be able to do. And so this is why these tests are extraordinarily important to make sure that we are writing zoning that is as close to possible. You know, we're, we're testing something and the, t the results of the test are showing us something that is reasonably predictable in reality. And so you would want to create dimensional requirements that, you know, the, 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 the model is kind of doing a, a good fidelity kind of output, um, which is why it's so problematic, um, th this district, because yes, we don't want to have a situation where there's the potential for dramatic physical change to some of these large parcels and, and sort of these physical environments that people treasure so much. And so that's going to have to be a conversation that we have as a town, um, you know, about how to 
address that. So, so, so that's that's question one. It speaks to the heart of it. Is this important or is this not? Um, is locating new housing in different parts of town important, or is it okay to just focus everything on the transit area? This is another really crucial, fundamental question. Um, how much parking do we need in multifamily housing? Um, doesn't necessarily seem as fundamental as, other, as those other two questions, but has the potential to, to really affect things. And then when we talk about development, we have a long history of special permit development where the planning board has a lot of discretionary power to approve or not approve developments. Developments are often come with what we would consider to be community benefits in terms of design, in terms of streetscape improvements, in terms of affordable housing. One thing to understand about the difference between what we call as of right or by right zoning and discretionary zoning is by right zoning is the same thing as you go to the building department, you want to build a house on your lot, you meet the minimum lot size, your house meets the setback requirements, it meets the height requirements. If you check all those boxes, you get your building permit. You don't go to the planning board. Planning board doesn't get to ask you a bunch of questions. They don't get to put all sorts of restrictions on your project. If you comply with the zoning, you get your permit. This is what we're being compelled to do, is to write as of right zoning. Um, there is the ability for the planning board to do site plan review, um, which, which folks may be familiar with. Um, you know That gives the planning board the ability to put reasonable physical restrictions on a project, but they can't give an up or down vote to the project. You really have to approve it. You have to allow it. Um, so this is why it's so important, again, to, to get this stuff right, to understand with your eyes wide open, if we pass this zoning, this is what the product is going to look like. Um, but I will get to the concept of community benefits in a minute because there is... Um, there is a way to kind of navigate that. Um, so, so just to sort of really put a, a real fine point on these issues, um, if preserving the physical character of the transit area is important, then we need to find density gains in sub-districts elsewhere in town because we're not hitting the density numbers in the transit area. And if we did hit those density numbers, you would see a neighborhood that is dramatically different than the one that you have today. Um, but if it's not important, then we can just do the transit area and, and call it a day. Um, again, I, I'm not trying to put my thumb on the scale here, but it's, I don't think that would be tolerable to a lot of people. Is locating new housing in different portions of town important? This is sort of an equity question. Um, is it, you know, we have the ability to locate half of this district in the transit area and half of it elsewhere. Um, does it fall on one or several single neighborhoods in the transit area to comply with this? Or do we want to spread this around town? Um, I tend to think that there are a lot of benefits that come with redevelopment, but there's no denying that there are impacts. Um, we talk about this every week at the planning board. We talk about it all the time when we talk about zoning. How do you sort of mitigate and address the physical impacts? Should those impacts be focused on one area or should they be spread around? Fundamental question for the town to consider. Um, if, if that's not important, then again, we're talking about the transit area and we're gonna call it a day. Um, if it's not important, then we need to talk about where else in town can we start to put um, some of these zoning districts. How much parking is needed in new multifamily housing? Um, 
again, doesn't seem to be fundamental, but parking is a real serious and significant driver of the physical planning of any given development or project, especially in the transit area, which again, as we talked about earlier, when we talk about the environmental impacts of, of dense development around transit, the whole point is we're trying to get people out of their cars. We're trying to encourage people to use the train and to require an excessive amount of parking, especially in the transit area, would sort of defeat that purpose. Um, I sit on the traffic commission. Um, a meeting doesn't go by where we don't hear about the onerous and quite frankly, intolerable traffic conditions in the town. Um, there, there's, there's, sometimes there's not a lot we can do about that. We are between the South Shore and the city of Boston. People are gonna drive through Milton. But there are some things we can do and what we can do is not exacerbate the issue. And we can encourage people to live in a way that is, you know, car light is what we like to say. Um, if you build parking, people are going to use it. And if you don't, there's nothing to use. Um, but again, this is a, a really, it's a hot button issue. Um, and it's something that becomes really important when we talk about zoning and individual development projects. We talked about some of those community benefits that we're accustomed to, to sort of getting out of these larger development projects. So one thing that the guidelines allow us to do is to put in a 10% affordability requirement. Um, we can say to any development, 10% of your units have to be deed restricted affordable. They count on the subsidized housing inventory. Um, this is a way to kind of keep up with our 40B requirements. It's a way to provide affordable housing. 10%, um, we've, we've zoned for higher than that in the past. But one thing that I will say is that no one is building affordable single family houses, okay? If you wanna have affordable housing in the town of Milton, it's gotta be built in a multifamily context. Um, we don't allow multifamily except by extraordinary zoning and special permitting purposes. And so that's why we get the 40B projects that we get because our zoning makes it literally impossible to build affordable housing outside of 40B. Um, there are other things that we tend to like to ask for out of these developments, streetscape improvements, you know, uh, contributions to beautification efforts, um, commercial space. In a buy right zoning scheme, again, it would just be, it would be the same thing as if you went to go get your building permit to build your house and the building inspector said, well, you've got to also do this beautification project around the corner. He doesn't ask you to do that because you meet all the zoning requirements, you check all the boxes, you walk out with your building permit. We're creating buy-right zoning here. What we can do is set a level of zoning that meets those minimum requirements. So zoning that contributes to 15 units per acre, the unit capacity numbers, the area numbers, that has to be buy-right. Someone can come into the building department and get their building permit to build a multifamily house or multifamily building and then, and then walk out of there. We can create what we call density bonuses, incentive zoning, height bonuses, where here's a minimum level, but you can build more if we get more affordable housing. We get ground floor retail. We get streetscape improvements. Um, the zoning currently doesn't allow, or the, the law currently doesn't allow us to require ground floor commercial uses. We can allow it, but you can't require it. So this becomes an issue, um, you know, in Central Ave, um, in Milton Village, where there's a real desire and a real need to maintain the commercial tax base, but the zoning can't require it. 
So you need to come up with a way to incentivize and allow it through a, a bonus program. So what's next? Um, we're, we're operating as a department, and, and again, you know, we're here to get feedback on some of these assumptions. So um, you know, very, very happy to hear any corrections or, or comments on this. That the small parcels in the C zone can only handle so much density. We're not gonna zone the small parcels for more than three units, or at least I don't think that we, we can. Um, and that we want to preserve the physical character of the transit area to the greatest extent possible. And so in the A zone, this means we're not cranking up the density to a point that we're going to encourage teardowns and subdivisions and, and, and whatnot. Um, again, if I'm wrong about that, let's talk about it. So if these assumptions are accurate, then we need to boost our overall density numbers with higher density elsewhere, or we have to reduce the amount of land that we're zoning in the transit area. But we probably need to do both. And what that's going to mean is making some decisions about what stays in the zoning district and what leaves the zoning district. Um, I have not made that decision. I, I won't. <laughs> um, you all need to make that decision. And what else we're going to do is we're going to test other areas in town to see if we can boost up those density numbers so that we have the flexibility to be more deliberate and more targeted in our zoning in the transit area. And, and again, these are assumptions that I'm making based on my experience as a planner, based on my experience talking to you all throughout multiple zoning and planning processes, that the physical character of this part of town is, is extraordinarily important. It's, it's important all over town, but this is, this is sort of the hot seat right now. And so, as I said in the beginning, we're doing tests. And I thought he was about to say that I was too far away from the microphone, which I still might be. Um, what we're trying to do is find out how we can get to a compliant district that gives us the option to say, okay, now we're like this. Now we can start to trim this down and kind of target this in a way. So we're going to be working with our technical assistance providers to test some additional districts. Um, I, I, I want to be super clear about this, that ultimately it's going to be up to the town via the planning board, via town meeting to decide which of these sub-districts we're actually going to do, what the, what the restrictions and what the density and what the dimensional requirements are going to be. We just want to show you the things that we're testing. Like as I said earlier, we're testing the non-residential areas of town, the larger parcel areas of town, where we can start to get some, some higher numbers of density with larger buildings. Because we can draw a line around any neighborhood in the town of Milton and say, we're rezoning this. But we run into the same problem that we're running into in the transit area, where you know, it would be arbitrary and you would be talking about the potential to really dramatically affect the physical character of Hillside Street or Brush Hill Road or, you know, Upper Canton Ave. Um, you know, we can do that, but I, I suspect that we don't want to. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the districts that we're testing. We'll probably come back at a future forum like this and present the results. Um, they'll definitely be presented to the planning board. And then hopefully we can start to have the discussion of, all right, what stays, what goes, what changes. Um, so... We've already got existing multifamily housing uh, between Brush Hill Road and Aponza Valley Parkway um, in the form of Fuller Village. 
and we've got a large, it's not, it's not a housing building, but we have the, the Brush Hill Road rehabilitation facility at 1200 Brush Hill Road. Um, we're gonna be testing that area. One thing that, again, and, and we'll talk about this, I think, in the context of, of the next set of districts, but um, there's a way for us to start to take advantage of some of the existing multifamily housing that we have, which I'll explain in a minute. Um, the, um, the one on the right is the A. Thomas and Sons landscaping, and also there's a parcel owned by the Animal Rescue League behind that kind of, doesn't actually front on Chickatawbit Road. Um, it actually backs up to the reservation. Again, large parcel, non-residential, um, you know, kind of at the outskirts of town with access to, uh, to Randolph Ave and the highway beyond that. We're also going to refine the zoning requirements in the transit area. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we did a blanket around that area, three units per parcel. So we're getting credit for three units on 88 Wharf Street, which actually already has 78 units on it. So we're going to be refining some of the larger parcels and some of the existing multifamily parcels in the transit area. So if you look at this on the left, it kind of stretches from 88 Wharf around to to Adams Street, to 1 Elliott Street, 36 and 50 Elliott Street, and then out to the Central Ave Business District. Um, existing multifamily here, Milton Hill House, 50 Elliott Street, 36 Central, 131 Elliott Street. The scenario that this presents is, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about 131 Elliott Street because it's actually a one acre parcel. Um, it's also the newest building that we've got in town, 38 units of, of condo development. Um, we've been working on this one for a very long time. I think everyone's very proud of the product that got produced there. That's a building that's at a level of 38 units per acre, far exceeding the minimum requirements. So that was created by a special permit. What we can do is include that in our zoning district and say it's 38 units per acre right now. We're going to zone that parcel for a level of 40 units per acre. Um, we get credit for 40 units per acre in our zoning. Realistically, as a practical matter, that building is gonna be there for a long time as it exists now. Um, the impacts of that building are baked in, the, the, the height of it is baked in, it's part of the neighborhood, it's part of our town. We have decided that a multifamily building there is tolerable. So in the immediate term, we get credit for a project that's effectively already built. Um, and then as a practical matter, if you know generations from now the owners of that building decide we want to redevelop they've got zoning to build a 40 unit building over there um it's a little bit tricky um but it's a it's a question that comes up a lot well we've got some multifamily housing how do we get credit for it you know and to, to milton's credit where it's been appropriate to build multifamily housing so far where, where we've had kind of slam dunk parcels we've built multifamily housing at a high density level um and we should get credit for that so these parcels are going to be zoned for a level that is slightly higher than what already exists. But what we feel is an appropriate level that, you know, if, say, there's a redevelopment at 36 Elliott Street, that it's not going to be something that is alien to the neighborhood, but actually reflects the existing multifamily housing that's already there. Um, the same thing for um, 30 Curtis Road, Unquity House, um, the... Um, senior housing owned by uh, Milton residents for the elderly. That's a big building. It's one of the biggest buildings we have. Um, we have been living with it for a very long time. 
um, it's an appropriate spot for multifamily housing, we should zone it and get credit for that zoning. Um, one thing that you'll see that I don't want anyone to be alarmed by is recall back to the very beginning of the presentation, there's a requirement um, that a subdistrict has to be five contiguous acres. 30 Curtis Road, unfortunately, is a four acre parcel. So this zoning district folds in some of the single family houses on the corner of Curtis Road and Blue Hills Parkway. Um, I, I don't think that there's a risk here that any of those parcels actually get redeveloped into multifamily housing. We're not gonna get a credit for them because they're undoubtedly going to be below the minimum lot size. And in order for there to be a redevelopment there, what you would need to have is someone purchase all six of those houses, six town of Milton, you know, decent size parcels and build their, you know, little apartment building on a, on a one acre parcel there. It's technically possible. Um, we're not gonna get credit for it in our compliance model. And again, as a practical matter, very unlikely that that type of law consolidation would happen. But in order to sort of meet the requirements, we've got to draw that line um, in that manner. Um, and then finally, um, we had tested the Granite Ave parcels, the State DPW Yard and the American Legion Hall. We're actually expanding that zone to also include two Granite Ave, which has the uh, Flatley office building. Again, decent sized building at the outskirts of town. Um, you know, it's got the highway interchange between it and any other abutting neighborhood. We want to include that in our district so that we have the opportunity to potentially zone for places where there's already, you know, large size development. The other thing that I want people to recognize and to not be frightened by is you see uh, the marsh is part of the zoning district. Um, you're not allowed to build on the marsh. Uh, that's owned by, I forget if it's the town or DCR that owns that. Um, that is not a redevelopment parcel. That is there to create a contiguous district that connects to Granite Ave to the other Granite Ave parcels. Um, we are allowed to do that. This is actually what they consider to be what they call excluded land. So not only, so the, the guidelines acknowledge that as it's not a development parcel, it's obviously wet, it's obviously in the area of critical environmental concern, it's impossible to build. That doesn't count towards our, we talked about the numerator is the units and the denominator is the land. That actually doesn't count towards the land. So we actually will be able to get good density out of this district because it's technically contiguous but doesn't include that huge parcel, um, which is unbuildable. So just very quickly, what's next? Um, we're planning a monthly series of these public forums. I'll get to you in a sec, because we're actually gonna be at the question and answer period. Um, monthly public forums. The next one is Thursday, June 15th. I believe we have the keys room for that, six? 6.30. 6.30. Um, it's a hard stop at 8.30 at the keys room, um, but we're gonna have another public forum. We're gonna do these on a monthly basis. Um, we're going to be reporting back to the planning board. We're reporting back to the select board um, on a regular basis. We want to make sure that people are informed of what our progress is. We want people to provide, we want to provide people with opportunities to, to learn about this stuff, to provide the feedback that, that we can get on this, um, and just let everyone know that, you know, we're, we're doing our best to incorporate what we hear as people's concerns and preferences but also, again, being really kind of straightforward and transparent about the limitations that we have here. So um, 
all of that is going to be on the MBTA community's multifamily zoning requirements website on the planning department website. Go there if you're not already uh, signed up for our email list. We will also blast that stuff out to the email list. We put it on the town website. We put it on social media. We'll also be out now. Now that it's the summertime, we're going to be at the farmers market. We're going to be at the Wednesday concerts. We're going to be at Little League games. Um, we want to make ourselves available. We want to hear from the widest cross section of people that we can. That went longer than I thought, so I apologize for that. It's very dense material, but um, we can we can take some some questions and comments now, sir. You just wait for the mic, and we can uh, we can talk. I'll, I'll hold on a question, but is, do we get time period? We'll or? Do we, what do we get for time? Five minutes or no? Let's let's say three, and then. We'll see where that goes. I'll hold in the question related to that. My name's Mark Christo. I live on Waldo Road off Elliott Street in the impacted zone area. I'd just like to bring up a point because we have to be very creative here on everything. That in my opinion, the trolley is not rapid transit. It's a short distance local route with two termini endpoints that serves really as a feeder to the Ashmont rapid transit, much like a bus. And back in 2019, the MBTA actually did publicly propose replacing it with just that, a bus. So the trolley itself is distinctly dissimilar from rapid transit. It's a single vessel operation. The uh, rapid transit is a six car train and there are measurable differences both in size and carrying capacity. And it's that limited capacity that to me is a red flag because it's the basis for the housing development that you're proposing and working on. Um, as such, and by necessity, the trolley must have to has to run more frequently as it does during rush hour, just to keep up with the arsenal of Ashmont rapid transit trains that come through that terminus at that point. And because Ashmont is the terminus, the endpoint of the rapid transit, every passenger that boards that trolley has to do two things: they have to disembark the trolley, and then they have to reboard the rapid transit train. Why? Because the trolley does not provide direct linear passage into Boston. That's a critical difference. And there are operational limitations that require all passengers, every person, every time, to wait both at the trolley stop as well as at the Ashmont Rapid Transit train. Um, included in that is something called dwell time, which is the time that a train sits at the terminus before the bell rings to announce that it's sequenced and ready to be released from that station. So when I look at Milton is a rapid transit community, thinking about the limited carrying capacity in that process, and then conversely compare it to rapid transit passengers all over throughout the MBTA web. There's only one wait time that everybody else has to wait for. That's at their local stop. From that point on, they're carried directly into Boston. We do not have that capability in Milton. I think it's an erroneous categorization, and it's something that we really have to look at. Um, that would save us, Milton. I'm not saying we don't build and we don't, we, we don't in accordance to what the, a designation is, but a proper designation is our rapid transit. We're not a, community, a commuter rail community. I believe we're an adjacent community, which drops the housing allowance still to a, a, a very difficult 988 units, but down from 2461, it buys us more time two years to be able to go through this process. You spend a lot of time on this. There's a lot involved. It's very informative. But it buys you a little bit more ease 
Um, and it doesn't overtax and overburden the town as much as the 2461. It's still going to burden us a lot. It also helps to preserve existing neighborhoods like mine off Elliott Street. I'm very happy where I live as most residents who know nothing about this. If they really critically analyze this, I think they'd be really upset. Um, I'm really just kind of surprised that that hasn't happened yet. And when I look, one other point, you know, you, you mentioned about the inability to build on the north side of the trolley tracks because the land mass is outside of the town of Milton. An adjustment has been made to allow other parcels to be included as part of it. Um, if, in fact, we're not rapid transit, those numbers are not going to be, um, we, we won't be held accountable for that. But when you consider a short distance trolley route that really serves locally, as I said, like a bus and was possibly and almost converted a few years back, um, you're looking at stops that are so close that within just less than three quarters of a mile, all four Milton stops lay. That is unheard of on any other rapid transit lines within the whole district. So you're talking about super concentrations of density. If in fact that was rapid transit, we would not have stops that close and the access for development would be off of the Elliott Street corridor and it'd be over to Ash, uh, sorry, Adams Street and Blue Hill Parkway and that would change the dynamics. But again, there is not a rapid transit system here and I think that we have to really give close consideration to the fact that we should be thinking strongly about a recategorization first and foremost. Thank you for your time. Yeah, th thank you for that, sir. Uh, three minutes on the nose. Um, um, so th those are all well-taken points. And um, I've, got a, I've got a bad answer, and I've got what I think is a slightly better answer, um, but, but neither will probably be satisfactory. Um, the bad answer is that the, the categorizations are, are based on what the T considers its system to be. Um, if you go to mbta.com and you click on rapid transit, Mad Pan Line is there. Um, the state has, has, has piggybacked on those categorizations. And so, you know, to, to change that would be a, I, I don't want to say arbitrary because it, it would be based in, in a lot of the points and, and the empirical kind of um, observations that you've made, but it would be kind of contravening all of the other categorizations that they've made, you know, via this legislation. So that's kind of the the super basic, you know, it is what it is answer. Um, what I'll say about the Mattapan trolley and 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 the data that we have, admittedly, is is from 2019. So obviously, a lot has changed with the system. Um, but in terms of you know, it, it's it's an important point about capacity. Um, but in terms of headways, which is the amount of time between the train comes, how long are you waiting for the next train? The Mattapan trolley is, is competitive with, you know, what I would consider to be the most similar type of transit in the system, which would be the D line through Newton. Um, stops aren't as close together, but it's light rail. Um, it's a trolley system. Um, we actually beat the D line on, on headways. The headways on the Mattapan trolley are, are actually better and in fact, much better than the headways of the actual red line that leaves Ashmont. So you're, you're waiting for less time at, at you know, Central Ave than you are waiting at Ashmont. Um, understood. Understood. You know, you're, 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 no, you absolutely are. And, and, and I... I it's, 
it's it's the only it's the only answer there is. Um, so so what I'll say and and sir I, I uh, Kathleen can we I I appreciate I, I appreciate that but like let's try to we'll, let we'll, we'll talk. No 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 and 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 I I th I think you you make you make good points and I think um, in in a different world we would be looking at you know okay you know the capacity the Jabal times you know this is they're piggybacking off of the MBTA's definitions. Um, the other thing that I'll say and I mentioned this to some folks earlier, um, you know the bus conversation several years ago um, th that is that is over. Um, you know in response to the overwhelming opposition to buses that the T heard um, from, from Mattapan, from Dorchester, from Milton. Um, you know, you probably have all familiar with, because it's over budget and, and, and under, <laughs> under delivering, but there is a Mattapan trolley transformation project in the works. Um, you know, phase one is the refurbishment of the existing trains. Phase two is the refurbishment of the existing stations. Phase three is, is new rolling stock on the Mattapan trolley. So um, it's not coming fast enough, um, but it's coming. And there is a commitment to the infrastructure on the Mattapan line. Um, what, what I'll say is, and, and again, I, I, I told uh, Ben Zoll, our, our newest select board member, he's got a target. Um, ultimately, these are select board conversations about how we're going to communicate with the state on this stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be supportive of that conversation. Um, but what you have to understand is operationally, mechanically, what we would be asking the state to do is say, you know, you need to create a special bespoke characterization for Milton that doesn't exist for other towns, um, which they may they may decide to do, um, but that's kind of what what the ask is. So I, I don't I, I hear you. I don't mean to be it's bomb, but absolutely. Um, I, I I used to have business cards in my pocket. I don't. Um, Sean, you get the mic. Um. Thanks, Tim. So I, I suppose I should identify myself. I am a member of the planning board. My name is Sean Fahey. Um, and I first want to acknowledge the time and the effort that is being uh, put into this by Tim, by Josh, and by Julia. And um, it's, believe me, when you listen to Tim talk about where he has to be around the town to make sure that he serves his role and helps people understand uh, what we're discussing. It, those are hours that he probably doesn't get paid for. So um, again, we appreciate his effort. Thank you. I do want to make sure that everybody understands whether you're here today or whether you're a resident at home watching, um, there's an awful lot of work that's going to go into determining how we could be in compliance with the requirement. And that work and that effort is so large, it may uh, not allow people to understand, all the residents of the town, that the decision to whether we do this or not do this as a town is not the planning board's decision, it's not Tim's decision, it's not the select board's decision, it's the town. Town meeting will determine whether or not we have uh, made the decision to follow uh, the requested um, MBTA legislation. 
So for people like my fellow residents sitting beside me, I just want everybody to understand that it's not a foregone conclusion. And, and Tim has said this repeatedly in the past. There's an evaluation that we're all responsible for. I represent um, all residents in the town, whether your point of view is that you're in favor of this or whether your point of view is that you're not in favor of this or if your point of view is undecided because you're still learning. Uh, Tim has that same responsibility. Um, he has to represent all points of view in the town. So I just want people not to be alarmed based on what they see and they hear that there is a decision that's already been made. Town meeting will decide what the town of Milton does. And for those that have points of view as strong as my fellow residents sitting to my left, I just would want everybody to understand that. So um, I'd encourage everybody to spread the word and encourage people to join these meetings, to pay attention to these meetings, to ask questions. And whenever their point of view, uh, whenever they feel like they have enough information to form their point of view, I, I would want them to be fully informed and for the process to be fully transparent. And that is what Tim's trying to do. The purpose behind these meetings every single month, we've talked about this in the planning board, is to make sure that the residents of the town are afforded an opportunity to fully understand this so that when they do make a decision of how they really feel, uh, it's based on a very informed decision. Yeah, th thank you for that, Sean. And, and you know, I, I'm a, my job is to be a rule follower, and, and this is the rule now. Um, so, you know, what, what, what my goal, um, you know, and, and like I said, checking in with the planning board on a biweekly basis, we're going to begin, you know, biweekly or monthly, you know, check-ins with the select board, um, keeping everyone apprised of, of what our progress is so that, you know, when it eventually gets to town meeting, you know, like Sean said, everyone has all the information um, and, um, you know, yeah. So thank you for that. We got to repeat. I'm sorry, Tim. I think it's also important that the residents understand there is, there is a, uh, it's been, it's been described as compliance, but the way that this legislation has been prepared and drafted, if you do not comply, there is a penalty that's paid. And Tim can explain the penalty. Um, and part of our responsibility is to examine, you know, the financial implications of this um, if you don't comply. Uh, and that's something that the residents will be informed of. I'm not sure if Tim will get into that tonight, but in a future meeting, if he doesn't tonight, he will. So uh, the, the mechanism is such that if we do not pass uh, zoning that would comply with the MBTA um, legislation, we, we, we will uh, pay a sacrifice financially, and Tim can explain what that is. Yeah, um, so, uh, thank you, Sean. Um, I went into it a little bit earlier. Um, there, 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 there's a couple things at work here, um, and I, I don't like to talk a ton about noncompliance because, again, my, my job is to be a rule follower and to help the town follow the rules. But the, the way that the legislation is laid out is um, – there are three state grant programs, uh, MassWorks, Housing Choice, and Local Capital Projects Fund. MassWorks is the big one. Um, MassWorks is a um, tens of millions of dollar grant program every year um, that cities and towns use for infrastructure projects. Um, the, the, the one high profile project that we have done um, via MassWorks has been the uh, reconstruction of um, Central Ave and Elliott Street. Um, between the Central Ave and, and Milton Village business districts. Um, so new pavement, new um, nice sidewalks, all the nice stuff that you see over at Central Ave. Um, that was 
11 or 12 years ago via a Massworks grant. That's, that's the last one that we've gotten. Um, we would be out of that game um, if, we, if we didn't comply. The other grant programs, Housing Choice is meant to reward towns that um, achieve certain housing production targets, which, which we have not yet achieved. And then the Local Capital Projects Fund is a sort of a lesser known, smaller, effectively slush fund <laughs> that comes out of casino revenues. Um, it's currently used um, to backfill subsidies to public housing authorities. Um, there have been interim compliance requirements that we've had um, since the law was passed in 2021 that we have complied with. They're very kind of pro forma exercises. Um, but if we were to not comply, a, a funding stream for the Milton Housing Authority would be at risk. There has been discussion in the current budget season. Maybe the State House wants to correct that and then sort of not hold public housing authorities hostage to MPTA can use compliance. That's up in the air, um, but that's something that is uh, part of the legislated compliance regime. But the other thing to remember about compliance is that the law says that every MBTA community shall have a zoning district. Shall means shall. You got to do it. Um, there are penalties that are laid out, and then there are penalties that are unforeseen. Um, as I said earlier, the attorney general has issued a advisory opinion that that has said, you know, you know, we will we will file civil enforcement actions against non-compliant communities. Whether that is going to be backed up is yet to be seen. But when we talk about the costs and benefits of this, one of those costs is unforeseen legal costs, and and then what happens when, if and when you lose that fight with the Commonwealth, um, you know. One one kind of one kind of way you can see this happening is kind of a, a proto kind of forty B situation, where you know a town doesn't pass zoning, and you get a property owner that sells to a developer, and the developer says, the law says that you shall have a zoning district that allows me to build fifteen units per acre, and I'm proposing fifteen units on this one acre parcel, and then we're in court about that, um, and you know again unforeseen. I don't know, you know, what the attorney general is going to do if she does anything. I don't know what the development community is going to do if they do anything. Um, you know, these are things that um, th that are out there. And so, um, my my position as your planning director is to help you have something that will check all the boxes that the state has asked us to check. And then ultimately, it's up to to you in the form of town meeting to to do it. So I, I do appreciate Sean teeing that up um, because, you know, I happen to think that this is good legislation. I think it's a good opportunity for the town of Milton, um, but I'm not a town meeting member, <laughs> um, and I don't live in the town of Milton. So um, it's ultimately up to you. And and what I'm trying to do is kind of help you make that decision in in the best way that you can. Cheryl. Oh well, we'll get Cheryl after this gentleman. Okay. Thank you, Josh. It's a, it's a complicated stack. Uh, understood. Uh, thank you, Tim, for uh, the forum tonight. Uh, my name is Bill Mullen, and uh, I'm on the uh, local historic district survey committee. And uh, it's a simple question, and, and, and possibly you don't have maybe a lot of information on it, but uh, it is an important uh, question for us as we uh, think about this issue. Uh, how will this particular zoning change affect the creation of a local historic district, or will it affect 
the creation of or the existence of a local historic uh, district. Do you have any information on that as of yet, or is it too soon? No effect whatsoever. Um, this is zoning under Chapter 40A of the Zoning Enable Act, just like any other zoning that we have in town. So we're talking about a local historic district in Milton Village. Um, all of those requirements of the local historic district, whatever requirements we decide to have if and when that district is created, apply irrespective of what the zoning is. Um, as I said earlier to, to, to the point about the environmental concerns, zoning lives, zoning is a land use regulation. It's not the only land use regulation. This zoning, just like our existing zoning, exists in that ecosystem of land use regulation. So Wetlands Protection Act, local historic district, demolition delay, you know, the blasting bylaw, you know, the cut and fill bylaw, all of these things that we already have are all together and still apply. Um, this isn't something like 40B where you get to come in and waive local requirements. Um, these will effectively be our local requirements that we impose on ourselves together with all the other local requirements. Cheryl. Okay, thanks. Uh, Cheryl Tagayas, also a member of the planning board. Milton has identified in its master plan and it and in its housing production plan, uh, a need for additional housing, uh, housing for people who are just starting out, starting households, housing for people who are downsizing. Um, diversifying our housing stock has been identified as something that needs to be done. So Tim, I think I'm gonna tee you up a little bit to think about the potential benefits of this uh, MBTA zoning in terms of meeting some of our housing needs that are otherwise unmet currently? Thank you, Cheryl. Um, so um, I, I, I mentioned this earlier in the context of, of affordable housing. Um, and, and when I said that, that no one's building affordable single family houses, um, when we talk about the diversity of our housing stock, um, something like 75% of all, it might be 85%, there's a figure out there in the housing production plan um, a very significant fraction of our housing in town is single-family housing. And there are small single-family houses and there are enormous single-family houses. But um, one of the things, if, if you are a property owner or if you've tried to buy or sell property in the town of Milton recently, um, it's one of the most precious real estate assets that there is, is a single-family house in the town of Milton. Um, that is, you know, there's, there's two factors at play here. Um, Milton is a very desirable town. Um, no one's going to joke around about that. It is a great town. Um, it's a beautiful town. The schools are great. The facilities are great. The location's great. Um, and that's real estate. Location, location, location. But there's also the issue of scarcity. Um, when, you, when you have zoning that only allows for one house on a significant size parcel of land, whether it's 7,500 square feet, which is a little small, to two acres in the, B's, in the AA zone, you are restricting the supply of housing that is potentially able to be built in the town. And it's supply and demand, simple as that. When you have a scarce resource that's in high demand, the price goes up. Um, so very, very simply, when you increase the supply of housing in a high demand area, that has an effect on, on prices. And, and one thing I don't have the, in this particular presentation, I don't have the, the, the numbers, but if you go on Zillow, they'll tell you what the average 
single-family house prices and the average condo prices in the town of Milton Condos being a sort of stand-in for multifamily housing. And even brand-new construction, luxury construction, 131 Elliott Street, definitionally is going to be cheaper than a single-family house. To say nothing of the affordable housing that you can require in a multifamily building, which is deed-restricted and meant to be affordable. Um, the other thing is multifamily housing in, in most cases is going to be smaller than what the zoning is going to allow for a single family house to build. And, and two really great examples are the two newest subdivisions that we've had in town at Pine Gardens Way, 227 Pleasant Street, and Woodlot Drive, um, the Pulte Project, the town farm. Um, these are four to 6,000 square foot huge houses. Um, beautiful houses, but they're huge and they're expensive. Whereas when you build a multifamily building, 1,000 square feet, 1,500 square feet, 2,000 square feet, 2,500 square feet would be a big condo or, or apartment building. These are, again, definitionally smaller, definitionally cheaper, um, you know, even on a market basis. And this is the type of thing when we talk about downsizing for seniors who have, you know, someone owns one of these big old houses in Milton, the kids are gone, you're by yourself, you don't need this house, but there's nowhere for you to go in town because we have so little of this particular type of housing stock, multifamily housing, elevators, you know, smaller housing for get rid of all your stuff that you don't need anymore. There's nowhere for you to go. And so we really eliminate the ability of people to remain in their community if their particular housing situation no longer suits their needs. And so, you know, these are goals that we have in our housing production plan. We've had them in housing production plans in the past. Um, you know, it's a tough conversation but it really is about weighing the trade-offs of, you know, this is, we say that we want this, but our regulations don't allow it to be built. And so how do we kind of reconcile those two things? So, um, we've got you and then one, two. I just want to raise the point. Um, my name is Matt Morong. I live at 136 Elliott Street, um, so right in the district. Um, I want to raise the, the issue of why the legislation was passed in the first place. I, I haven't spoken to the people who voted for it, um, but I suspect it has a lot to do um, with kind of what Tim was getting at right now, which is what is the effect of upzoning these communities that are served by transit, right? Um, there are social aspects to it. There are economic aspects to it. There are environmental aspects to it. And what is the impact if the status quo here is maintained? Um, if we continue to live in a town in the immediate vicinity of Boston um, that is almost exclusively zoned single family, the barriers to entry, first of all, are going to remain enormous. I can speak as a relatively new resident that my house is, is a massive burden. Um, and I'm sure that's true of many people who are trying or who are, or have recently moved to the town or who are trying to get into the town. Um, beyond that, I think that there are certain values that this community, or yeah, values that this community finds important and we give a lot of lip service to, including racial and economic diversity, um, environmental benefits, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I believe in this legislation as a social good. I think that it is going to be hard. I think that it's a challenging problem for this community to face. Um, but at the same time, I think that this is an opportunity to really kind of to, to, to embody the values that we talk about all the time um, through housing, through the ways that we structure our community and through the people who, as a result of that, 
will be able to join us in this community. Um, so I ask that people take this seriously. And, and I've spoken to the community, um, to the planning board several times about this, um, just because I believe very strongly that this is an important thing for us to do, but it's also a challenging thing for us to do. Um, and I think it's important that we do it well. Um, so I'm really, I've, I've told the planning board before, I'm very invested in this process, um, very excited, kind of excited about it, um, but also a little bit nervous. Um, and, and I share a lot of people's trepidation, but I do think that part of this discussion needs to be not just about changing the character of this community, because I think that that has to happen, um, but I also think it's about what the benefits are if we do have a change. Thank you. Got oh, Josh Tabor, and then and then this gentleman had his hand up first. Okay, all right, you, you know better than I do. Okay, thanks a lot. Sorry, guys. Hi, um, thanks for the presentation. Appreciate it. Um, my name is Brian O'Halloran, and um, the Central Ave T stop is ground zero for my wife and I. We're within the half a mile blast radius of uh, of that T stop. Um, I, I wanted to. <clears throat> just review just some off-the-cuff numbers that we've been kicking around. Um, according to the census data collected in 2020, the average family size is 2.6, and the population of Milton is 28,630. If we take that 2.6 average family size and multiply that by the 2,000 excuse me, 2,461 units, we come up with 6,398 additional people in, in, in Milton. That is a 22% increase. So my question is, can you please comment on what you think is the impact of your plan to increase the population of the town of Milton by 22%? So uh, th thank you for that, and and I think it's a really important consideration. And and I, I mentioned earlier that the planning board is is using some some state resources to get consultant services to um, perform a fiscal municipal impact analysis um, of this potential zoning. We've got an RFP that's out right now um, to a couple firms, um, and that's the exact type of thing that we're we're trying to get professional analysis of. Not just you know what is you know it, it really starts at how many how many of these buildings can we reasonably expect to be built? Um, who is gonna live in them? And then what is gonna be the impact on municipal services, schools, traffic, pipes, et cetera? Um, I do want to, because I think, I don't, I don't wanna push back too much um, because I think the, the point that you're making is, is ultimately sound, that we're talking about a population increase. What I will say is that um, who moves into new housing is, is and how many people move into new housing is primarily driven by, by the size of that housing. Um, and what we find throughout the region, time and time again in this kind of most recent real estate cycle, and, and quite frankly in previous real estate cycles, is that multifamily housing is smaller and has fewer bedrooms than single family housing. Um, I used to work for the Boston Planning and Development Agency. I was in the uh, development review department um, and so we would run the review process for huge multifamily projects. And I can count on my fingers and toes how many three-bedroom, four-bedroom units I saw proposed in those development projects. Um, 
it might not be any, um, quite frankly. And, and, and I reviewed thousands of units. Um, and, and the reason for that is in city of Boston and, and even more so in town of Milton, the demand is not for that type of housing. The demand is for smaller housing. Um, the real estate market is trying to respond to that demand with studios ones and twos. And you hear this complaint a lot, you know, if, if you follow Boston development politics, where people will come out and say, well, we're all the family units. We want to have families. You know, we want this to be a family neighborhood. And the fact of the matter is the family units already exist and they're filled in city of Boston with students, roommates, situations like that. And in town of Milton, you know, there are a lot of families, obviously, that live in this town, but there's also a lot of seniors and a lot of empty nesters who are, you know, one and two people living in three and four bedroom houses with empty rooms. Um, so the, the, the type of development that I anticipate we see would be in that one and two bedroom sort of housing typology, which is going to, again, dictate the number of people that move in. Th that's as far as I'm going to go with that, because even, you know, even if only one person moved into 2461 units, that's still 2461 new people. Um, the other thing that I wanna push back on a little bit is, I mentioned this at the very beginning, that this is a zoning mandate, it's not a production mandate. And the distinction there is we pass zoning and we're done. Whether or not units get built, we can anticipate the units will get built, but we still are okay if they don't. If you think about our current zoning, and I, I have, you know, and I'll share this, I'll find a forum to share this with. When we pass zoning, the current zoning code that we have in 1938, I've got newspaper clippings from the committee that, that put that zoning together. They anticipated a zoning capacity in Milton with the A, B, and C zone for 60,000 people to live in the town of Milton. We obviously, as your numbers, you know, 28,000 something in the most recent census, have not come close to achieving that. And it's just a reflection of you know, the zoning capacity and the actual build out of new housing are not gonna be the same. So those impacts are gonna be felt over the course of, I don't know what the time frame is gonna be, but it's not overnight and it's not even in the course of a decade, I would assume. And so it's a very serious issue. I, I don't deny it in the least that we need to have a very clear understanding of how much of this housing can we reasonably expect to be built in what time frame, and how can we adjust our spending priorities, our capital project priorities to adjust for that. The last thing that I'll say is we talk a lot about the costs, but the the number one taxpayer in the town of Milton is um, the 88 Wharf condo building. Um, we make almost a million bucks um, from 88 Wharf. And that is one building on two acres. You know, there's one pipe going in, there's one road going in. Um, it's, it's, it's a pure profit center from a revenue perspective. Um, you know, there are other, you know, the golf course gives us a lot of money, you know, but if you look at the top 25 taxpayers in the town of Milton, it's littered with multifamily development. Um, so, you know, these are revenue producers for the town relative to the amount of impacts that they have. Um, so when we talk about, you know, new infrastructure, new kids in the schools, those are those are serious and we need to fully understand that we also need to understand that there's going to be new financial resources that come with this type of development but to get back to the original original point um the planning board is looking into this um and when we have data on that we'll share it as widely as we can possibly disseminate it 
folks, just so you know, it's nine o'clock. I kind of wanted to end at nine, but also I got nowhere to go. So, um, you know, I'll, I may I may think differently at ten, but um, well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate your uh, at least holding out for my question, which isn't as, uh, as significant. I, I've got four kids, and I know that they can't afford to live in town, and and I'd love to have them live in town. So, I, if this could help, that would be a bonus. But I doubt they're going to be moving back anyway. Um, my question is on the uh, the numbers that were presented here, and uh, a few slides back, you had a whole spreadsheet on where the numbers came and if you checked all the boxes. And one of the boxes was the number of units, which was 2,400 and something. And the number of units that were proposed here were in the well over 4,000, 4,500, 4,600. And the only thing that we didn't, the box we couldn't check was the number of units per acre. Granite Ave and East Milton Square are in that 30, 35 units per acre, so that should push it, uh, you know, trend it higher. And the other side was that three, uh, 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 three and four uh, family units along Elliott Street were uh, hurting that average. And it seems like we had plenty of room to go way back from that half mile, and I don't want to call it spot zoning, but push it into a couple of these and run the numbers again with those. And I'm, I'm convinced you're going to be a lot closer to that 15 units per acre in and around that 24, 2,500 total units. And the 45, 4,600 foot units, it's a scarier number. It's, you know, it's twice as much. And I think that's, I mean, I'm in the sales business. That's a tough sell. Make it easier on yourself and get the numbers right and figure that out part out. I think, you, I think it'll be a lot easier to get people to swallow that. Oh, we're trying. Um, Thanks. So, no, I, and, and I think it's a good point. Uh, for whatever reason, the, the screen's not back up, but it's 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 not important. Um, so, the, the 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 first test is to is to just see what it, what does our transit area look like? What is it doing for us? Um, I didn't. I never anticipated that we would get it on the first try, and we didn't. So, so that is what it is. But I think we learned a lot, and I think one one of the things that we learned is that um, we we probably can't zone the entire transit area. Um, I don't think that we should be hitting our density numbers and also wildly exceeding our other numbers. Um, I think that you know the town can can stand to have some multifamily development, um, significant numbers even, but I, I don't necessarily think it's the best idea to double what the state is asking us to do. Um, and so that's going to be a conversation that we need to have: is is sort of how do you modulate those different variables to come as close to what your requirements are as possible. And so I, I, I do think that, um, you know, we're, we're making some informed inputs into this compliance model, but um, because there are dozens of variables that are being comp computed, um, it is a little bit of a, it's not a mystery, but it's, we don't know what's gonna come out until we put stuff in. So, um, you know, we think the next run of the model is gonna come a lot closer to what we need to be. And you know that's going to be information that we have, and we'll, we'll be a lot closer to those targets, and have a lot more information about how to actually hit them. So um, hopefully, in, in in the coming weeks and months, we'll um, we'll have some some different news for you. Um, Thank you for your presentation, Tim. Um, it, I, I'm just really impressed with the uh, the work you've done uh, and the detail you're providing and the kind of iterative approach that you're taking with multiple forums, showing us progress and your thinking along the way. 
I'm Jeff Wilkinson. I live at 199 Beacon Street with my wife, Sally. We've been here for 35 years, and I'm co-founder of Affordable Inclusive Milton. Um, I want to speak uh, to the question that you posed to us. What do we think about the possibility of uh, looking beyond the areas that you've already mapped for us? Uh, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I look forward to seeing the results of additional testing that you do. And I think this kind of builds on what uh, Tabor was saying a few minutes ago. Um, let, you know, it, it, as we look at additional numbers, this may become an easier conversation. I also want to um, uh, build off of comments that Mr. Moran and, and Cheryl Tagayas said. I, I appreciated uh, your answers to those comments. and. Uh, a shift in the conversation that seemed to start to be happening, that we talk about this as an opportunity uh, and not just a, a, a burden for the town. And uh, if you have a chance tonight or uh, in future forums to speak about uh, additional opportunities here, um, it, it seems important to me that noncompliance should not be an issue. That should not be part of our conversation. And it's not just because of grants that we might not qualify for, and it's not just because of lawsuits that we might face. Uh, but we are part of the region, and we have a regional crisis in housing and housing supply. And our leaders, including the former governor, uh, Republican Charlie Baker, tried to emphasize that our economic future as a region depends on increasing the housing supply. We see in San Francisco what's happening when a, a community just uh, loses its capacity to house its population. So I, I would appreciate some additional information about the economic benefits and the, and the benefits for housing, uh, that is for property values in uh, neighborhoods with um, smart zoning, uh, more dense transit-friendly zoning. There's a lot to be said for this that will benefit the town. And uh, we need to be thinking about this as a future uh, uh, for this community. Let's think about 50 years out. We're making decisions for our grandchildren, uh, not just for ourselves. Uh, just stay tuned for all that. <laughs> so Kathleen and then this gentleman here, and then um, I, I do have to be mindful of our friends from MATV um, who, who may need to hit the, hit the bricks, but um, we, can, we can definitely chat afterwards. Um, hi, it's Kathleen O'Donnell, and I'm on the Board of Appeals. But I had a quick question to remind me, please, of the, um, the deadlines for all of this uh, process. <clears throat> yes, um, very important. Um, so there are three categorizations of communities, um, and you know uh, it's it's we are a rapid transit community um, until we aren't, um, and the deadlines for rapid transit communities to pass zoning is actually December thirty first, twenty twenty three. Um, so super fast track um, for the town of Milton. Um, there are I think twelve other rapid transit communities: Quincy, Cambridge, Somerville, Everett, Chelsea, Revere. Uh, Brookline, Newton. Um, I was actually just on a call with um, planners from all of those communities um, this afternoon. Um, we do this uh, every couple weeks to kind of check in with each other and see kind of where we are. Um, you'll be 
pleased or dismayed or whatever to hear that everyone is is having a rough time with this. Um, so there's no secret sauce out there for anybody. Um, everyone's got their own unique challenges. Um, I think, you know, what we are attempting to do is to sort of set up the ability for town meeting to consider this in a December special town meeting. Um, we want to do our level best to hit our compliance deadlines. Um, but I, I've said it before in the past. Um, I'm not terribly interested in in bringing bad zoning to town meeting in December. Um, if 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 town meeting wants to see bad zoning, then then that's great. Um, not great, but whatever. Um, but we're going to do our best to get this done by the deadline. Um, but we need to get it right. And so that's kind of the way that I've been positioning this. And so um, we're going to do our best. Oh, so just as a quick follow-up then, do you have consultants who are going to be drafting the zoning for this or? We are working on it. Okay. Thank you. Just, just, just as, as, as Josh is walking around, it's, um, it, is, it, is, it is tough. There, the state is putting a lot of financial resources behind this. Um, what we're going to be take, trying to take advantage of another grant round um, to get some, some money to, to hire um, uh, someone to help us draft zoning based on the information that comes out of our model tests. Um, I'm confident in that. Um, the state understands that we are under the gun. Um, other communities are, are able to kind of slip into this one a little bit more. Leisurely is not the word, but um, they, they, can, they can hold each other's hands a little bit more than we can. We're kind of you know, building the plane as it's flying, as I like to say. Sir. Uh, yeah, thank you, Tim, and thank you for uh, having this forum. Um, my name is Tom Hess. I'm at 229 Adams Street, which is within the half-mile radius of uh, Milton Station. But my question is about affordable housing. Um, the state has a, a threshold for, for towns for a uh, percentage of uh, residential units that are affordable. I, I think it's 10%, am I correct? Yep. Uh, and we haven't historically met that, which is why we've had all these 40B projects coming in. I don't know what our current status is, but I still think we are not quite at 10%. No. Um, so <clears throat> part of the requirements for the MBTA zoning, if I understood them correctly, actually caps the affordable uh, affordability in there at 10% at of the units, which means we're actually taking uh, part of the town, probably the parts closest to the transit and commercial areas where you would want affordable housing, and uh, saying, well, we can't catch up with our deficit in any of these areas, which seems like a conflict between different state agencies, frankly. Um, the best we can do is 10%, which just sort of keeps us at the level of deficit we have. But also you've mentioned, given the, a lot of our, our uh, parcel sizes, most of or a large amount of this development would probably be three, four, maybe five or six units, which doesn't add up to any affordable housing. It actually would have us falling further behind the threshold. Is there anything that we can do um, to require small developers to in some way contribute to affordable housing or in some other way uh, keep us from continually falling behind the, uh, the threshold? 
Thank you. So th this is an excellent question. I'm glad you brought it up um, because it is it is an area of concern. It's you know I, I, I you know all, in hindsight probably should have put it in in my kind of list of, of fundamental priority questions. Um, a, a couple things about that. Um, it is going to come into play when we decide how much of this transit area or how much of this zoning district is going to be in the transit area versus how much of it's going to be in places where we can actually build. I keep saying real apartment buildings, you know, more than 10 units where you could get, you know, affordability. Um, you know, if it's a priority for the town to not fall behind so much on 40B, um, then that's going to affect the decision making. I, what what I, well, I'll, what I'll observe is this, is that, um, you know, 40B has been the law of the land for 60 years um, and we're at 5%. Um, so this is, I, I try to separate the 40B question from from the need for affordable housing. Um, you know, this is zoning that will allow affordable housing to be built. 10% of a multifamily building um, is more than we've got right now. Um, but the 40B concern is is a salient one and a valid one. Um, and I think really the um, there's there's a couple ways to think about this. Um, if you think of, let me just get back to your ultimate question, which was, can the smaller developers contribute in some way? It's a good question. I don't have a great answer for it. Um, I will bring that back to DHCD. Um, the way this usually works is, you know, 10% of three is one third of, no, what is it? Is it? I, I, I'm like really, like, I'm not an idiot, guys. <laughs> like, but I have just been like really stepping on it on math. But it's a fraction of, of a unit. And the way we usually do these things is you'd make a monetary contribution to the Affordable Housing Trust for a fractional unit. Um, I don't know if that's something that they're going to allow under this. I'm going to ask. We'll get an answer. Um, but the, the 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 broader kind of issue is, imagine, you know, elsewhere in the Commonwealth, city of Boston is an example. There are mission-based developers who exclusively build affordable housing. Um, they take advantage of tax credits, CPA funding, other federal funds to subsidize housing. They build 100% affordable projects um, because they're able to because there's funding sources, and then there's also a regulatory environment that allows them to build the amount of housing and the style of housing that lends itself to affordability. We do not have that. Um, so the thing that I like to tell people is that, you know, if we actually create zoning for multifamily, that opens up the development world of Milton to all manner of developers, market rate developers and mission-based affordable housing developers. And really, ultimately, that is how you, you get ahead of 40B. You're not going to inclusionary zone your way out of 40B because even if even if every multifamily district that we did allowed affordable housing, you'd still have people building housing out of those districts and we'd be falling behind. So you really do need to have these significant affordable housing projects, a 40B project or otherwise. Um, we have done an analysis um, via the planning board and, and, and via some work that we've been doing with the select board on kind of where we stand on 40B on the two metrics, the 1.5% land area minimum and the unit count. Um, if all of the 40B projects that we have approved and actually there's a hearing, hopefully not still going on for the final 40B project, the 728 uh, Randolph Ave. There goes that. <laughs> that, um, that. That's the last 40B project. If all of those get built as they've been proposed, plus some of the other units that we have kind of in the mix uh, from other projects, we are only 25 units away from 10%. And so that is Winter Valley 
has 36 units coming online, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe potential development at Town Farm. So where we stand right now is maybe those projects don't get built, but there's a path towards 10% in the same way that there's a path towards 1.5%. But maintaining that, we're going to have to continue to look at allowing significant amounts of affordable housing, whether it's via friendly 40Bs, whether it's via other zoning mechanisms. Um, but, you know, we have the tools to potentially keep up. And, and you know, if we, if we allow extra density, we can require extra affordability. Um, so that's going to be, you know, something to, to, to play into the figures. Um, but the, the other thing that I'll say just about sort of, you know, when we talk about the threat of 40B, one of the reasons why 40B is attractive to developers is because there's nothing else, right? You have to go through town meeting to get zoning to build anything besides what we already allow in this town. And, you know, I love town meeting, but developers don't love town meeting because it's hard. Um, if you create other zoning mechanisms to sort of direct development to where you want it to go, these guys aren't dying to build 40Bs. They're just, they want to build, they're developers. They want to build a project. They want to make a buck on development. And so if you directed into places where you want it to be, you stand a better chance of it not going where you don't want it to be. So I think that was the time for our last question. Um, we're going to stick around for a few more minutes if people want to chat. If you want to go back and put some stickers on those maps, we know a little bit more about the types of multifamily development we're looking at. We'd love to know where you think it fits. Um, it's going to inform some of our you know, inputs going forward. Um, like I said, June 15th in the Keys Room, we're going to have another forum that's going to go out to our email list. Hopefully, we'll see you at the Farmer's Market. We'll see you at Little League. We'll see you, um, we'll see you elsewhere in town. But have a great night. Thanks for coming out. And um, yeah, thank you.